Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Church reparations begins with an honest reckoning with history. Because you can't repair something until you learned how you broke it in the first place. There's no way forward without a common memory about the past. That was Duke Kwan who spoke at this past Springs Q conference in Nashville on the topic of church reparations. Thanks for listening this week to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And that thought you just heard was how we ended last week's show. We want to continue the topic. There's so much more to Duke's talk that we want to hear, plus a discussion between Gabe and Duke that we want to get back to. So let's continue thinking about the topic of church reparations on this week's Q Ideas. Duke, you, you described specifically the idea of changing our vocabulary, also understanding and having kind of a common view of, of reckoning with history. Why are those couple of things really important for the church to do if we're going to be able to even move forward and have something to offer to the world? Well, for one, one of the most important things about what we're talking about here is that it's a, it's a spiritual endeavor. It needs to begin in the heart. And if we don't actually have genuine repentance from the gospel, uh, inspired by the love of Christ, if repentance isn't a reality in our hearts, we will have no power, we will have no zeal, uh, we will have uh, insufficient love to move forward, uh, knowing the facts of history and understanding what we've really done collectively against our black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ in the past. Um, is a critical step. Uh, we really need to go back in order to go forward. We're getting a lot of questions around one particular category. I'll read now the question from Robert. It says this, To what extent are we culpable for acts, which though we did not ourselves commit them, nevertheless, maybe we benefit in our daily lives? Can something not be our fault, yet be our responsibility? Yeah, I think that's right. It's a really important question uh, to sort through. Uh, partly because we live in a culture that is so individualistic. It's really hard, even in the church, for us to think about a corporate responsibility for past sins. But when you look closely at the Bible, the Bible always talks about us not only as a me, but also a we. Uh, where even if you might not be individually guilty or culpable for sin, God has always talked to the whole covenant community as being a people that are jointly responsible for the sins of the community. Uh, that's the nature of covenantal responsibility. That's corporate identity. Uh, so there is a, a sense in which we do need to have uh, two different categories, sins that I've individually committed, but also sins that we have corporately committed. And even if I wasn't personally a part of that, literally, since a lot of us weren't born 
uh, or alive during that time, but still we have a responsibility to repair, more importantly, to love. Uh, this is something that Christ calls us to. Yeah, and I think this is where this portion of the talk starts to get really fun because you start to imagine what might that look like. So let's go back. Let's listen to the final portion of this talk. And then Duke and I are going to have some final questions, some final conversation. Invite your friends to listen in, to be a part of this conversation with us as we all continue to learn together. Let's go back now and listen to the concluding portion of this talk. Third, church reparations is guided by a repentant imagination. And here's what I mean by that. It's no secret that our black brothers and sisters often feel alienated in predominantly white churches. And we kind of shrug and tend to assume that, well, that's simply a product of personal preference that's experienced in the present. But what we've forgotten is that this experience of black alienation in the church is also the product of sinful exercises of power in the past. You see, when racism excluded black Christians from its pews, it also excluded them from the generation after generation process of developing our liturgical traditions, our confessional theologies, our community practices. And what was the result? We have built the norms and the practices of the non-black church around the absence of black Christians. And then we wonder why they're now absent. But what if they had been present all along? You may remember the movie, The Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone. Jack is a, a Wall Street executive. He's a single man, enjoying life. He left his college sweetheart years ago in order to pursue a high-powered career. And the whole movie is about this special glimpse that Jack gets into what could have been. Uh, the life that he could have had as a husband as a father, as a family man, if he had only made a different decision years ago. You see, church reparations is a glimpse into what could have been. If the church had only made different moral decisions with respect to race years earlier. Or to put it another way, Church reparations is about imagining what things would be like today if our black brothers and sisters had been an integral part of our churches for the last 300 years. And then it's about writing an alternate ending to the story of the American church. So friends, what can you imagine? Our people, our priorities, our power structures, and yes, even our potlucks, what might be different today? How would things be different? What if black theologians had been at the table all along? 
And what would our religious art perhaps look like? Would our pulpits be any different if black preachers had been teaching homiletics at evangelical seminaries all these years? That one's an easy one. That's yes. (laughs) What if Charles Wesley and the Charles Wesleys and the Thomas Dorseys of each musical era... The Chris Tomlins and the David Crowders and the Richard Smallwoods and the Andre Crouches. What if they had been writing music for the church side by side? Can you almost hear it? Can you almost see it? And then using our repentant imaginations as a blueprint for a way forward. Fourth. Church reparations take concrete steps to repair our racially broken ministry structures and relationships. And so perhaps a church-based Christian private school confesses that it was founded in the 1960s in part to avoid school desegregation. And it repentantly imagines that it would have had a more diverse student body otherwise. And so they established generous scholarships for African American students, as well as grants for teachers of color who might be able to support them. See, they're repairing the barriers that they created. Or a church admits that decades ago it it fled the city because of the rising black population. And they imagine that had they stayed, yeah, they'd be a quite different church. And they now realize that they've become a racially homogenous church by choice, a past choice. So the church dares to move physically to a more diverse neighborhood no matter the cost. You see, they're repairing the lost opportunity to be in community with black and brown neighbors. And of course, there are all kinds of reparative measures we could use and pursue on all levels of our churches and organizations. We need to repair our ruptured relationships, and we need to do it with a a repentance that doesn't demand forgiveness And with a forgiveness that's only possible by the grace of God. We need to repair the theological lenses that blind us to the core concerns of the black community. So that we no longer dismiss outright as political what is in fact personal and pastoral for our sisters and brothers of color. We need to repair broken leadership structures that try to add diversity without subtracting control. And we must substitute it with a vision of leadership that joyfully centers the gifts, the assets of our dear black leaders. And the list can go on and on and the list must go on and on. And you might have already noticed the possibilities really are limitless. The potential for creativity boundless. And this is where you all come in. Because the church needs the collective insights 
and engagement of our artists and our theologians and our musicians and administrators and youth workers and finance people and writers and pastors and yes, even you Enneagram fanatics will find a place for you as well. What steps of racial repair can be taken in your sphere of influence, skill, or passion? And even beyond the church, also in the marketplace, and in the city's commons, and in the public square. Where might your repentant imagination Take you, no matter the cost. Too often in our pursuit of what we call racial reconciliation, we find ourselves sort of settling, sometimes out of weariness, sometimes out of cynicism, sometimes because of wounds. We find ourselves seeking just to get along without seeking truly to thrive In unity. We've been rearranging the broken pieces. Just rearranging them. Rather than aiming to repair the broken pieces. And to see the presently dismembered body of Christ. Become more whole at last. This is the invitation of church Reparations. What would things be like today if black brothers and sisters had been an integral part of our churches for the last 300 years? Dear brothers and sisters, will we dare to imagine? Will we dare to repent? Will we dare to repair? Thank you for listening in to this entire talk. I know you've been with us for a while now where you've worked through this talk. We've heard a little bit from Duke. And now I'm excited to kind of push into kind of where this talk concluded because it really was calling for an imagination, for us to start to dream about, to imagine together, to collaborate, what it might look like to repair. And to me, in the work that we do at Q, part of what Duke establishes here is a theological idea a theological principle that repentance and reconciliation actually isn't all that God calls us to as his church, but he actually also calls us to this step of repair. We've talked about it in the past at Q as the idea of restoration, as the idea of renewal, but it's it's God's participation now in fixing the things that have been broken. And so Duke, as we move into this phase of your talk and we hear your final conclusions where you're kind of inviting everybody to roll up their sleeves and to dream and to think about this. Um, Talk a little bit about this idea of repair and maybe how, as a theological concept, it doesn't just apply to a conversation on race, but it applies to a lot of other things as well. Jesus is a Savior who doesn't simply forgive our sins. He actually restores all things. And so there's an invitation into the, the way in which Jesus actually redeems. And that's the joy of it. That's Uh, the hope of, I think, what we're called to here. But as you said a second ago, there's just been this missing link in the way that we've approached racial reconciliation. Uh, There's a a lot of appropriate 
uh, focus on having harmony in our relationships. And that's good. And that's biblical. Reconciliation is restoring relationships. But a key part of that is actually repairing those relationships, repairing things, structures, institutions uh, together as one body of Christ out of love, love for Jesus and love for our neighbors. And in a lot of ways, that's just been the missing piece. Um, I think we need to dive into that. Okay, I have a question coming in from Barbara. And the question is this. We're talking about race reparations between African-Americans and whites. But what about our nation's sins as it relates to our Native American brothers and sisters? Yeah, this is such an important question. Uh, I actually wrestled with this a lot while I was uh, preparing this talk uh, because uh, if there's one uh, area of racial sin and injustice that's even prior to our grave sins against our black brothers and sisters, it's actually sins against our Native brothers and sisters. And uh, the reparations conversation wouldn't be complete without actually addressing that. I think there's a, a, a there's a helpful way in which starting with the black white struggle in this nation's history and in the church's history can be helpful in terms of learning up what are we really trying to do here. But I do think this conversation eventually does need to address the native communities um, and that that ugly history as well. And I think that's the opportunity with you establishing this idea of repair. And I think this is what's exciting, Duke, is we get to actually imagine. This is where, to me, the Christian life and the gospel come to life because we actually participate with God and say, how ought this be? Like if, if these sins had never occurred, what would things look like? And you start to paint the picture of that as you describe what would our churches look like? What would our music look like? Um, as you've thought a lot about this, uh, what are you seeing as some of the opportunities to imagine again a future? Uh, and, and I know partly you've told me, look, I'm just bringing my best ideas, but we need more people having this conversations. Talk to our listeners and our viewers today about how they might participate in taking action on what they're hearing. I mean, really, the invitation here is for every person, whatever your station in life, calling, uh, field of vocation, uh, age, um, geographic location, to dig in and to start thinking about, well, in, in what ways can I contribute? In, in what ways can I actually make a difference in my particular sphere of life? And whether, again, if that's financially or relationally or in the arts or politically or uh, in, in terms of policy and all these different ways, as well as in the life of the church as well, in terms of the way that we teach, in terms of the way that we eat together, in terms of all these different things, everyone can actually contribute to this grand project of repairing what was lost and what was broken. And uh, I, I think it'd be a joyful thing to see a, a, a movement even of people that are jumping in and collaborating around this idea. Yeah, and I think some of this gets back to the history piece, Duke, and, and the idea that one of the first steps we can take is try to understand the history and, and get a proper view on that. I've talked to several leaders who, ap upon hearing this talk and leaving Q, have now gone back and specifically in their own local churches are doing the history work to understand did their church somehow put the stamp of approval on slavery and were they benefited by that? I know if we look at the economics of this, we can see that uh, many white 
institutions have been created over the last couple of hundred years that our African-American brothers and sisters haven't had the opportunity to create based upon the economy, based on, upon the way our churches um, who would have benefited from some of what was happening in the South uh, financially. And so they're taking a hard look at the economics to say, what did we do? Even again, if I wasn't alive during that time, was there something about the institution that I'm a part of that has benefited or profited from sin? And is there some creative ways that we can imagine uh, restoring and, and repairing uh, those kinds of practical examples give me hope as people try to imagine. I know you and I were interacting about another concept we saw in another um, country where they actually looked at saying, what if we gave no interest loans over 20 years to uh, benefit people who had not had the same opportunities as, as others uh, to actually create new opportunities, new business, new entrepreneurship? Those are the types that I think you're pushing into. Those are the type of creative ideas that we need our bankers to be thinking about. We need leaders and elders and churches to be thinking about. We need people who lead institutions to consider, are there opportunities we can create for people that maybe in the past haven't had some of these same opportunities so that they can go create in a way that maybe others have just felt was normal, but it hasn't been very normal for everyone. Yeah, that's right, Gabe. And I, and I think it's important to keep emphasizing that we're talking about more than just an exchange of money, right? There are just a, a whole variety of ways in which we can do this kind of reparative work um, in all sectors of life in and outside of the church. At the same time, I'll also stress, though, that there's a reason why there's always been a focus on the economic side of the reparations equation. And that's because in life, you can contest uh, whether or not this should be the case, uh, but so much of life works around currency, uh, whether if it's in terms of social power or relationships. Um, even in the church, we often say with honesty, our budgets reflect our priorities. So there's an important piece in which I think we need to not drift too far from economic considerations, even as we talk about church reparations, because really uh, money reflects a lot of our values and money actually makes a difference in the way that we can resource uh, some of this reparative work. So one of our viewers had a question that deals in this category of trying to understand history and what our personal responsibility is in it. I think you've spoken to this because you've said, look, it's about the community, not just the individual responsibility, but says the idea of reparations assumes that the Civil War and its destruction of families and property wasn't nearly enough of a cost. What if my family was part of the abolitionist movement and actually helped destroy slavery? Do I get a credit for that? What if my family lost a husband or a son to the war? Are we exempt? And so this gets into a lot of the just very detailed questions that sometimes come up around a conversation like this. How would you respond? Because I'm sure there's a list of a thousand questions we could come up with to either allow people to not feel like they need to do anything or that could invite them into something. And I, I just get the feeling that the conversation we're trying to have is more of an invitation into something. But because your story, Duke, I mean, here you are addressing this. Your family only moved to the United States just over 50 years ago. So for you, this has become a priority, not because you have some history as part of the Civil War, but because as a pastor, you see the need for this type of repair to take place. Speak to people who are listening and are trying to place themselves in this. You're right. Even in terms of my personal story, I'm, I'm clearly not driven by any 
personal, individual sense of guilt or responsibility or even collective in terms of uh, people of my ethnic identity, uh, you know, centuries ago having participated in these evils, which isn't to say that we're not complicit or responsible for ongoing participation in systemic racism in different ways. So it's uh, we all have uh, complex relationships with these uh, with this issue, with this endeavor. Uh, but yeah, I think the question really that you just read gets at um, the importance of understanding that though there's been a lot of cost over history and over time, uh, we're not just talking about just mere sacrifices or mere cost that's been incurred, but rather specifically, how are we actually returning what has been ripped off? Uh, how, how are we actually giving specifically back to our black brothers and sisters something that was owed to them, that is owed to them um, in Jesus' name, and actually restoring relationships around that idea, that concept. Uh, it's really important that we not sort of uh, reduce this into a transactional responsibility. Have I checked off what my part of the share of uh, moral wrongs or moral responsibility is? Have I given enough? Has my family given enough? Have they, do I get credit? <laughs> Does my family get credit uh, for what they've done in this area? Look, no one's keeping count here. Right now, what we're talking about is being motivated by the lavish love of Christ in the gospel. That has to ultimately be the power that pushes us forward. I know at Q, this talk received a standing ovation. It was rated as the number one talk for shifting people's worldview and really challenging the perspective that they walked into our Q conference with that day. And it's created and provoked a lot of great dialogue. We hope the conversation you and I are having today, and for those of you who are listening and watching, can also be a part of this as you share this message with others, with those in your church, those in your community, your neighborhood, your friends. If you sit on the board of an institution, if you have influence, we want you to share and spread this conversation far and wide so that it can begin dialogues right where you live, right at home, as you engage this. Thanks again for listening to this special edition of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Maybe like those who attended this past Springs Q conference, you have lots of thoughts and questions about this topic of church reparations. And maybe you'd like to hear this all again. Well, the full conference talk, plus there's a special Q&A between Gabe Lyons and Duke Kwan. Both of those are available at qideas.org. And while there, why not check out information about next Springs Q conference, Q2019 in Nashville in April. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, a production of Q Ideas in cooperation with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next week. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.